Let's get rolling here. We are going to continue our series uh, called Traps. So last week, we have been talking about identifying the deception of the enemy, identifying those things that he is going to try and use against us, identifying how he is going to get us into that trap, into that trap where he wants to take us down, where he wants to hold us back, where he wants to hook us in and pull us in. So we're going to continue that message. And like I said, we spent the last two weeks discussing how do we identify the traps of the enemy? How do we identify these traps that he is putting out there? Uh, so we're going to continue to discuss that. But more importantly today, I want to talk about the bait that the enemy uses to get us into the trap. Amen? We're going to talk about that bait. And so we know that the enemy works in deception. We've talked about that. It has been clear, okay? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, that should be clear. If you have not, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because it is very important that you understand the message. It's very important that you could recognize the deception of the enemy when it comes. The Bible talks very clearly about that the last days are going to be days of deception, how deception will lead people to not listen to sound teaching. As a Christian, I, for one, know this by reading the Bible and through my experience as a Christian, that the truth is the only thing that is going to set you free. It is the only thing that can set you free. Not partial truth, full truth is the only thing that will set you free. Deception comes in bringing partial truth to hook you and to make you think that you are believing the truth, but all the while, all it is doing is going to trap you. If Jesus is, is the truth, listen to me, if Jesus is the truth, it is important for us to know it. But if deception is what will lead us away from the truth, we need to be aware of it. So our enemy's intention is made very clear as well as what he wants to do and how he will do it. He wants to create, listen to me, he wants to create a gap between us and God. That's his intention, is he wants to create a gap between us and God. He has so many Christians believing lies that God doesn't do specific things for them, or, or you know, I, I hear this all the time, well, God doesn't speak to me. God doesn't hear my prayers. Well, the enemy wants to put those lies into your head, making you think that God is not real enough for you to have a relationship with him, or you struggle to do certain things or obtain certain things that God has promised us. So he wants to try and build a wedge. He wants to try and create a gap between you and God. He wants to create confusion within your life, as the scripture talks about, that our enemy is the author of confusion, and so he wants to create confusion in your life, making you think that you cannot follow the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. One of the most often questions I've been asked in ministry over the course of 20 years is, I don't know what God wants me to do. Can you tell me what God wants me to do? I don't know if God has a purpose for my life. What is my purpose? People ask that stuff all the time, and I'll guarantee you, majority of y'all are thinking that out there in the seats right now. Really, all that is doing is bringing a form of confusion on your life, making you think that it is very difficult for you to identify what God's purpose is for your life. Well, let me tell you something. That is not God doing that. 
God is not confusing you or God is not bringing confusion into your life to make you think that you are absent from the gifts that God has presented you or given you. The enemy is who is going to come in and bring confusion into your life to create a gap, to create a wedge between you and God. It is very, very clear. He wants to create confusion in your life and he wants to create hatred amongst one another. And he does this through deception, but he is crafty enough with his deception to get us to take our eyes off of Jesus and put him onto something or someone else. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Uh, just reference this for me. We talked about this a little last week, but just reference this. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 4, it says this, that Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, why? For many are going to come in my name saying that I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. I, I mentioned this last week when he says that. I told you, don't read this scripture and, and thinking that deception is going to come or going to come in the form of a Messiah that, you know, is uh, trying to preach some one world order and making us get microchips in our hands and going on one system. Don't read that like that because here's the deal. Uh, someone coming in the form of a Messiah trying to deceive you can come in many different ways, but it is going to come and present itself as untruth. Okay, but there'll be a little bit of truth within that deception, but it is going to come in the form of untruth to deceive you, presenting itself as it is the better way to live your life as opposed to following God. Wants to take your eyes off of our Father and put it on something else. That's deception. That's deception. So when you are deceived by someone or something pretending to be Jesus and offering something only Jesus can offer, you have in essence taking your eyes off the true Messiah and put your eyes on a false Messiah. Our reality is this, that deception is going to increase as we see the day approaching. Jesus speaking here in Matthew chapter 24, if you go down to verse 21, you flip over there real quick. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Jesus is speaking about a very controversial issue, and he's talking about the tribulation period. So he's speaking on the tribulation period, and he's addressing the individuals here, to telling them what's going to take place, telling them what's going to happen, telling them what's to come. And so he goes on in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. It says this, For at the time there will be great distress... The kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and will never again. So he's talking about great distress is going to come upon the world. The likes of that you've never seen before and the likes that will never happen again. There's going to be great distress within this nation. So Jesus describes a season of unimaginable world turmoil and persecution. This period will be unlike anything humanity has ever experienced Ever. And then he goes on to verse 22 and he says this, Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect or because of the chosen of God. So Jesus is emphasizing that the horrors of this time will be so severe that they could threaten the very existence of humanity. He's talking about a tribulation. And we've all heard about this. Some believe in it. Some don't believe it. I don't care whether you do or whether you don't. I just don't want to be a part of it. 
But uh, that's totally, <laughs> totally up to you with what you believe. Looking at the words of Jesus, though, and what he says, unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. Things at that point in time are going to be so catastrophic that he's sitting there saying that it, it could really wipe out all of humanity as far as where people believe or not. So he emphasizes the horrors of this time will be so severe that they could threaten the very existence of humanity, but... However, God's mercy intervenes to shorten these days. And then he goes on in verse 23, and he says this. If anyone tells you then, see, here's the Messiah, or over there's the Messiah, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead people astray or to deceive people. If possible, even the elect, even the very chosen of God will be deceived. Do you hear me? You are a born-again believer in Christ Jesus. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. There is a potential and possibility that you are going to be deceived. At some point in time in your life, you are going to be deceived. That's the whole intention of what, what is going to take place. Deception is going to come. The enemy is going to bring deception, and he is there to deceive believers. He is there to deceive believers. In addition to the physical tribulation, Jesus warns about a spiritual deception. False messiahs and prophets will emerge performing miraculous signs to mislead people, including believers. My question when I read this and when I see it talking about deception of believers and, and believers being deceived, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how in the world are believers going to fall for this stuff? I sit there and think about this in my relationship with the Lord, and I'm sitting there like I would never walk away from serving God. I would never walk away from serving God, and I'm sure many of you all think the same way too, but the reality is, is that deception will come in, and some of you all might walk away from the Lord because deception is going to come in and deceive the believers of God. And I sit there and say, how in the world are people going to fall for this stuff? This is going to be our whole focus of this message today. We've explored who our enemy is and how he deceives. Who knows his intention, but how is he getting us to fall for it? You have to know this, folks. A trapper is not as effective unless there is some kind of bait that he can use to entice the thing he wants to trap. Let me read that again. A trapper is not as effective unless there is some kind of bait he can use to entice the thing he wants to trap. Bad bait, ineffective trap. Good bait, effective trap. In order for you to fall into the trap, our enemy baits the trap with things that you have a tough time refusing. He uses your weaknesses against you. He plays on our weaknesses and he uses them as bait to reel you in. And you can take a look at some of the men and the women in the Bible who fell into temptation. There was a consistency every single time. There was a consistency for those individuals who have fallen into temptation over and over and over again in the Bible. The enemy baited them. He baited Eve. He baited David. He baited Judas. They were all baited in areas that they were weak. The enemy came in and he deceived them and he baited them in that situation in order to get them to fall. And yes, even Jesus was tempted and baited with the deception of the enemy. Jesus himself, 
don't want to interrupt that phone call. But <laughs> so where am I at here? Okay. Make sure we take that off the podcast. But anyways, um, so the enemy played off their weaknesses for these individuals who fell in the Bible, just like he's going to play off of ours. Believe it or not, Jesus had areas of weakness at times that the enemy tried to exploit. He was a man. You understand this, folks. Jesus was a man just like us. If you think for one minute that Jesus did not have weaknesses, you are 100% crazy. You are out of your mind. Did you tell him to come to church? We just, you know, just let him know. Just let him know. Come on, we still got time, okay? Just let him know. All right, let's go. Let's, yeah, we're going here. Okay, so what I was saying, all right, we needed that. Shake things off a little bit in this place, all right? You know, thank you for that. All right, there we go. So believe it or not, Jesus had areas of weakness at times that the enemy tried to exploit. Like I said, Jesus was a man, okay? Do you understand that? Sometimes we look at Jesus and we sit there and think he had absolutely no trouble whatsoever. Everything that came against him, you know what? He was just fine with it. He didn't feel any emotion. He didn't go through anything like we're going through. He was just like this superhuman individual that nothing ever, ever, ever bothered him at all. He was strong 100% of the time. That is absolute nonsense. Jesus dealt with emotional things in his life. He dealt with hurt in his life. He dealt with grief in his life. He dealt with sorrow in his life. He had weaknesses. And he had weaknesses at at points where the enemy tried to exploit it. And the enemy came to tempt him or bait him at his weakest point. Because the thing that you have to understand is that the enemy who's trying to deceive you or bait you is always going to attack you in the areas that you are weakest. If you, anyone has any military training or whatever, and if the United States is going to go to war against someone or whatever, or another nation is going to go to war, do they attack their enemy at the strongest or where they're the strongest? Absolutely not. They look for areas that are the weakest. Because those areas that they're the weakest in are the areas that they get exploit easier, and they could become more successful attacking those specific areas. So you have to understand... With Jesus and his things that he was dealing with, I mean, he was being pulled in 50 different directions all the time. The disciples were annoying all of the time based upon the scripture. I mean, they were whining and complaining all the time. And he was tasked with fulfilling something so unimaginable that the very thought of it was very difficult for even us to understand. And this very reason right here, folks, is why Jesus understands our weaknesses, understands the things that we are going through, understands the temptation that we are dealing with. He understands these very things because he dealt with them. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 for me. You guys doing okay? Thank you. There's always one in a church. There's always one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, our high priest, he says this, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 15. For we do not, I want you to notice this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. 
Jesus was tempted every single way that you have been tempted, yet he was without sin. He understands what temptation is. He understands what it means. He understands what it means to go through it. And he understands when you are going through it. He was tempted unto all points like unto we were, yet he was without sin. He knows how to overcome the temptation of the enemy. And he can sympathize with our weakness because he understands it, because he went through it. He knows what it is like. For me, I'll, have, I'll say this. Forgive me, Stace, but anyways. <laughs> I, it's not bad. It's not bad. Okay. I have this tendency at times when my wife will be sharing her frustration to me about an issue or something uh, that I have no idea about or I could never relate to, okay? That I could never <laughs> relate to. So she'll be talking, and instead of just listening... I'll say, I, I know, I know. I, I totally understand what you're going through. <laughs> I, I totally get it. Yeah, I totally understand. Knowing full well that there is no way that I could understand the situation that she is going through or the situation that she is dealing with. And after 10 years of marriage, which in two weeks, 10 years of marriage. Yeah, there we go. And after 10 years of marriage, I still have yet to realize that saying those words is the biggest giveaway to what I'm really thinking. <laughs> like, everything's gonna be okay. Ah, just be quiet, you know. <laughs> I wanna go to bed, I wanna go to bed, you know. So I don't have much sympathy <laughs> for the things that she is going through. And a lot of times we think Jesus don't understand the things that we are going through, but he understands full well. He understands so well that when we go to him with our concerns, we go to him with the things that we are being tempted with, he completely understands it, and he's going to provide a way of escape in the midst of that situation because he knows what's going on. His whole life was full of the enemy trying to exploit him and trap him, so yes, he gets it. The Bible says, like I said, he was tempted in every way like we have been tempted, past, present, and future. And he knows full well when you are feeling weak and at a low point in life, this is where the enemy hits us. He gets the struggle. Our advantage is this. The same bait that the enemy used against Jesus is the same bait he is trying to use against us now. The same strategy, the same tactic, everything is the same. The enemy has not changed. He is still going to use the same temptation that he used against Jesus to get us trapped. And I want, you to I want to show you this again. I want to go over Jesus again. I want you to see how he was tempted to fall for the enemy's trap. And I want you to see exactly the bait that Satan is going to use against you. In Luke chapter 4, just reference this. We went over it last week. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, where Jesus fasted. He was going on a fast for 40 days, right? He went on the mountaintop. He was going to fast, separated himself from everyone. He went and fasted into the wilderness for 40 days, and he ate absolutely nothing. And here comes the first temptation of the enemy in verse 3. It says this, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. So Satan tried to bait Jesus with hunger because he wanted to take advantage of his physical weakness at the time. Forty days. Forty days he fasted without any food. How many of us can make it four hours? Not a lot of us, okay? 
Jesus went 40 days. You have to understand something that he was very, very weak. He was very weak. And understanding his weakness, that's when the enemy came to tempt him. That's when the enemy came to bait him. So Satan tried to tempt Jesus with hunger because he wanted to take advantage of his physical weakness at the time. He played off of Jesus' physical and fleshly weakness at the time. So he tempts him right there. The second temptation is this. In verse 5, he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And then it says this. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all of this will be yours. Satan tried to tempt Jesus with the kingdoms of the world. He wanted to challenge Jesus' commitment to the overall mission. Satan believed he could get Jesus to fall for a trap by offering him a shortcut to becoming king. Jesus knew the only way for him to take his rightful place as king was going up and taking the cross and dying for our sins. At that point, everything he gave up would be restored to him, and he would take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father if he took the cross, if he died for our sin. Remember, folks, listen to me, this was an area of weakness for Jesus. And this area of weakness for Jesus was shown in the very garden right before he was crucified. I want you to notice something, folks. Listen to me. It was a struggle for Jesus to take the cross. It really was. And we have to understand it was not an easy task for him. Because like I said, the day before he was crucified, you could see him in the garden under such stress and duress that they talked about his blood was, or his sweat was as great drops of blood. He was seriously stressed about taking the cross. Why? Because he was going to have to bear the sins of all the world, past, present, and future, on his back. He was going to have to be sacrificed for them sins. And you know what? He realized that the Father is going to have to turn his back on him because of the sin. That is not an easy task. And so it was not an easy thing for Jesus to just up and go take the cross. Well, here comes the enemy coming in to play off of that weakness. And he says, listen, Jesus, I understand what's going to happen if you take the cross. You know what? You're going to take your rightful place as the king. You know, everything's going to be good. But you know what? If you just bow down and worship me, all of this stuff right here, I have the authority. I'm going to give it to you all. You don't even have to take the cross. You don't even have to take the cross. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that the Father is going to promise you. He tried to play off of Jesus' weakness right there, and he tried to tempt him to get him to take a shortcut to the only thing that the Father could offer him. And so the enemy's sitting there saying, I can offer it to you, but you know what? It's a lot easier my way. Come my way, just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. You won't even have to take the cross. You won't even have to be suspended between heaven and earth for hours, dealing with all kinds of all kinds of stress, all kind of physical pain, all kinds of spiritual pain. You're not even going to have to deal with it. Just bow down and bow down and worship me. He played off of Jesus' weakness right there again. And then the third temptation was this. He took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Satan tried to bait, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to throw him off a cliff because he wanted to test Jesus' faith in God and his authority over the angels. Satan quoted, and we talked about this last week, Satan quoted Psalm 91 verse 11, which says that God will command his angels to protect his faithful ones from harm. So Satan challenged Jesus. He challenged him, and he's sitting there saying to Jesus, I want you to prove that you are the Son of God. I want you to prove it. Jump. Go ahead and jump. Let's see what kind of trust you have in God. Better yet, let's really see if you have authority that he says you have and order those angels to catch you. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Jump. Let's see if you really believe what God, what God has told you, that you have authority, that he's going to protect you. Let's just go ahead and see it. Let's go see. Just go ahead and jump. So Satan tried to bait Jesus in that area with pride because he wanted Jesus to think that he could act independently from God. He, made, he tried to make Jesus think that, you know what, you don't need God. You don't need God to protect you. You could do everything on your own. Go ahead and jump. Go ahead and jump. Just go ahead and take care of it. But Jesus showed in that situation that he trusted God full well. He looked at Satan and he responded back to Satan. He said, please, I know who I am. You're not going to come in my mess. I know who I am. I know who my father is. I don't need to perform some spectacular miracle to prove who I am. I know full well who I am. I don't have to fall under any type of temptation. I don't have to take any bait for you to trap me whatsoever. I know who I am. I know who my father is. And you know what? I don't even have to jump. I don't even have to jump. Tempted just like we are in the same areas that we are. This is why he understands our weaknesses and why we and what we go through. But listen to me, folks. How many people question this? How many people really understand or really think that Jesus understands the weaknesses and understands the things that we are going through? Many people have this question. How can you understand my weakness, Jesus? When have you ever been tempted into picking up your smartphone to look at porn and fantasizing about having sex with men or women? Jesus, when have you ever done that? When have you ever done that? When have you ever been tempted in the areas to step out on your spouse and have an affair? Jesus, when have you ever gone through that? When have you ever been tempted to put a pipe to your lips or a needle in your arm? Jesus, how in the world can you understand my weakness when you have never, ever, ever gone through that? Jesus, have you ever been tempted to kill yourself because life has gotten too tough? How can you understand what I'm going through, Jesus? Jesus, have you ever had the desire to cheat and manipulate your way to the top? To gain some, gain some corporate respect? To gain riches? Jesus, how in the world can you understand the way I've been tempted? How can you understand my struggle? How can you understand the things that I'm going through? I know the Bible says that you understand my weaknesses and what I'm going through, and you can completely understand with it. You can completely relate to it. But Jesus, how in the world can you understand the things that I'm going through today? You've never had the temptation to do drugs. You never had the temptation to look at pornography. You never had temptations of suicide. You never had temptation to cheat your, your brother or your sister to gain status. You've never had the temptation to do that. So how in the world could you understand what I am going through? 
You've never had control issues. You've never struggled in these areas. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. And it is very easy to think that Jesus cannot relate to any of us in these areas of sin that many deal with or the struggles that we have faced over the years. It is very easy to think that he can't relate to us and the stuff that we go through. And yet Jesus can easily say the same things about us. And he could sit there and look at us and sit there and think, how can you relate to the things that I went through? When have you ever been tempted to give up on the salvation of mankind? When have you ever been tempted to bear the sins of the world on your back? Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted to do that. I hope no one raises their hand. <laughs> you got to understand something, folks. The enemy plays off of our weaknesses just like he played off of Jesus' weaknesses. We have different weaknesses, but the enemy uses the same bait. He uses the same bait to tempt us just like he tempted Jesus. Every area of sin, every stronghold, every bit of bondage you are dealing with, you name it, it all begins with the same bait. It all begins with the same bait, the same temptation he is going to use against us. And here is the bait that the enemy uses. I want to get to this point. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Turn over there with me. This whole series revolves right here. I need you to understand it right here. If you're not paying attention and you're ready to fall asleep, just open your eyes here because I need you to get this right here. I need you to understand this. So turn over. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. You're there? Say amen. amen. All right, follow me here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. This is very blunt. Okay, this is very blunt and right in your face. The Apostle John just... Bam, hits us with it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If your love for the world, folks, listen, trumps your love for God, you are deceived. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in them. There has got to be separation in your life. You have got to separate your desires of the things of the world and your desire for the things of God. There has got to be some separation in here because he says there very clearly, do not love the world or the things of the world because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Very blunt, very clear. You cannot be standing in the middle between two enemies and not expect to get hurt. You cannot play the middle ground here because you are going to get hurt. You are going to be pulled in the different direction. One way or the other, you are going to get hurt and you cannot stand in between. There has to be separation. You have to go to one side or the other. You have the ways of the world that war against the kingdom of God and you have Jesus who came to war against the ways of the world. You have to pick a side, folks. You have to pick a side. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about where Jesus was praying to the Father? And he goes on, it was in John 17, he goes on to say this, he says, the world hates us because why? We don't belong to the world, is what he's talking about. 
Just like Jesus didn't belong to the world. He came here. He didn't belong to the world. His home was heaven. He just came here temporarily. This was not his home. So he's sitting there saying, I didn't belong to the world. But you know what? Don't love the world because the world hates you. The ways of the world hate you and the things that you stand for and the things that you believe. So he says this. He says, the world hates us because we don't belong to the world, just like Jesus didn't belong to the world. Then he prays to the Father. He prays to the Father this. I find it very interesting. He says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I want you to protect them from the evil one. The scripture is telling us right here, do not love the world or the things of the world because this world hates you. We do not belong here, folks. As a Christian, your home is not this world. Your home is heaven. We are here temporarily. He is calling us to desire that world and reject this world. I, I hate to break this to you. For some of you, this might be alarming, but God's ways are not our ways. God's kingdom and how he operates in the kingdom of God are not the way is down here. That's why Jesus prayed Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus' whole intention was to bring the kingdom of heaven down here to earth so that people could see how the Father operates, how the Father acts. They could see the Father's love because it is completely different in the world. The world is warring against the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's doing. That's why Jesus is saying, don't love the world. Don't desire the world. But then he asked the father, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to protect them from the enemy. Because the enemy is trying to pull us in to the things of the world. He's trying to pull us back. He's trying to get us to desire the world more than we desire God. And that's why he tempts us, and that's why he tries to bait us. The whole intention of what he's trying to do to get us trapped is to ultimately pull us back into the things of the world. Because if he can get us trapped in the things of the world, we begin to love the world, and the love of the Father is not in them. The Bible here, listen folks, the Bible here is not telling us to hate people who don't love us. It is telling us, don't love the things that influence people to hate. The ways of the world. Don't love the ways of the world. Jesus then goes on to ask God not to take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one who wants them to desire the world more than they desire you. Like I said, the enemy's main focus is to pull you back into the world. And here it is right here, folks. Here is the bait. Verse 16. Are you following me here? Verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Every bit of sin, folks, every struggle, every stronghold, every bit of bondage begins right here. With the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is the bait that Satan is going to use against you to pull you into the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the same thing, the same way he tempted Jesus, right? When Jesus was hungry, he tempted him with the lust of the flesh. His flesh was weak, but the enemy tried to get Jesus to desire and, and succumb to the, the flesh. So he used the lust of the flesh against him. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the bait that the enemy is going to try and use against us because he knows 
what is going to take place in verse 17. Go down there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. If he can get you to desire the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father or God's love will grow cold within you. And when God's love grows cold within you, you become numb to the truth. When you become numb to the truth, you begin embracing a world that is passing away. You begin embracing a world whose destination is hell. Do we understand how serious this is? Do we understand why we cry out for revival in our nation? Do we understand that, you know what, we just don't sit and flip the news on and sit in our seat or on our couch and get comfortable with the things that we have going on? Because people are dying and going to hell. And you know what? There are Christians that are being deceived and being pulled back in the ways of the world, the world that is going to pass away, that's destination is hell. And they're being deceived, being pulled back into that way of living and that lifestyle. Do we understand how serious that is? This is why there needs to be an awakening on the inside of us that drives us, that pushes us to take as many people with us as possible. We have to watch out and avoid deception and how the enemy is going to try and trap us and going to try and trick us. He is going to try and pull us in by using the bait, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He is going to try and pull us in because he says this in Matthew 24. Don't put it up there, just reference it here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, it says this, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Three things, folks, of this world that are not of the Father, and Satan is going to do what he can to use these to try and get you to fall into the trap. The trap that will lead you down a path that's destination is hell. The lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the pride of life. What are those? What do they look like? That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about what these baits look like. What does the lust of the flesh look like? What does the lust of the eyes look like? What is the pride of life? How is that bait affecting us? How does that bait influence us? How is that bait deceiving us? How is that bait getting us and pulling us back into the ways of the world? Pray with me.